Thank you for taking the time to join us. In today's podcast, we're learning parenting principles from Pastor Dennis Murphy from Hope Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this episode and it gives you inspiration for your family growth. Here's Dennis. Well, hey, thanks so much, everybody, I, um, for all your prayers for my family this week. As um, I announced last week, uh, Don and I are expecting another child, and I just appreciate your prayers as a church. And I, and I ran across some stats this week. These are rather sobering, but uh, I think there's something that we, we just can't ignore. And here's what happens every day in the world. Uh, here, or excuse me, every day in the United States. Every day in the United States, a thousand adolescents begin drinking alcohol. Um, 135,000 kids bring guns or weapons to school. Every school day, they do that. 135,000 students. 3,610 teens are assaulted every day. 80 teens are raped. 2,200 teens drop out of high school. In case you wanted to know, just a little side note, um, in terms of dropout rates of high school students, um, 33% of, uh, excuse me, um, high school dropout rate for teens who are not in a divorced family is 13%. But if it's in a divorced family, it's 33%. A thousand unwed teenage girls become mothers. 1,106 teenage girls will get abortions. 4,219 teenagers contract sexually transmitted diseases every day. And unfortunately, six teenagers will commit suicide today. Every day. I know those are sobering and maybe not the the greatest way to be uplifted as to feeling good for what's going on in the world, but uh, in spite of all that, in spite of all that, God tells us in His Word very clearly that we're not to have a spirit of fear. That he didn't give us that spirit. He gave us a spirit of, of power and of love and of self-discipline. And the Bible talks about that very specifically, that we are not given a spirit of timidity, but a, a spirit of, of, of power from God and a spirit of, of love and a spirit of, of self-discipline. And so we know that love, and throughout all what I just read, and, and whether you're going through a little bit of a crisis like my wife and I did this week, or whether you're in the, in the latter stages of, of the parenting scheme of, of, of blessing your children with about to be married, love conquers everything. Love conquers everything. And so I want to take a look today at how the Apostle Paul gave us 25 instructions about what love should be. And so I want you all just please join with me and turn to the book of Romans and and turn to chapter 12 because we're going to see today that love can conquer all because after all, it is love that God is all about. I mean, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. God did not come here into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. And so it is, it's love itself that Jesus demonstrated when he was walking around with his people. I mean, J- Jesus loved the woman who committed adultery. said, just don't, you know, go and sin no more. He had compassion for her. He loved the woman at the well. He spent time with this sick woman who, who needed healing as well of her heart because of what she was going through and the adulteries that she was performing. And Jesus loved her. And Jesus loved the father of the paralyzed son. 
and spent time with him as he was just overly concerned with what was going on for his son. And he spent, Jesus spent time with knowing his heart and what he was going through. And we see that love can conquer all these things. And Paul describes for us here in Romans chapter 12 just a great description of what love is all about. I want you to go ahead and read with me. And if you're visiting with us today, this Bible is underneath our chairs. It is on page 866 at reading. But we want you to go ahead and take this home with you. It's a, it's a gift from us to you. The, the least we can do is give you this Bible today. So thanks for coming. And uh, please take it home. Use it in another room of your house if you've got your own Bible. And if you've been coming for a while, we want to encourage you to bring your Bibles because we like to get into God's Word every day. And uh, read with me here in verse 9. It says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I just want to stop with this first sentence alone. It says, don't just pretend to love, really love, truly love, sincerely love, genuinely love. The original language that was used, used the word, don't be a hypocrite. Love. Be genuine. Be genuine with love. And if there's any, and if there's a whole title for this whole little section that we're going to read from 9 all the way down here to the beginning of chapter 13, if there's, a, if there's a title for this whole section, it's this. It's that love is genuine. Love is genuine. And, and we see that in, in this section that Paul describes love and, 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 how to, and instructs us on how to love in three different areas. The first is how to love God. The second way he describes in, in this grouping of, of 25 instruction is how to love fellow believers, how to love the church. And then the, uh, the third grouping is to how to love the outside world. And, and we see this, these categories that, that Paul goes through. It may look like there's a whole just a bunch of a random instructions here on how to love God, but he's got these three areas that, that he talks about. And, the, and, and if there is a title Overall, the whole grouping, it is simply put that love is sincere, love is genuine. Love is genuine. And so as we read through these instructions here, let's, let's look at this first grouping that, that Paul talks about. It's this how to love God. He says, verse 10, love, or excuse me, in verse 9, it says, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Now, it's, it's rare to hear the word hate, and as Christians, we, we hear that word of, you know, don't, don't be angry, and, and, and it's, it's bad. But here is, is something good to hate. The, the thing that's good to hate is what's bad. <laughs> I'm not making any sense here. It's very, very clear. Is that hate what is evil. Abhor, there's something, a word you don't hear that often. Abhor, be disgusted by, be revolted by what is evil. And that's how we should love God, is that we should abhor what's evil, what is giving us to death, what doesn't add life to our bodies, or what doesn't add life to our families, or what doesn't add life to our career, or doesn't add life to our relationships, and what brings on death upon those things, we should hate. And we should, as this says, hold tightly to what is good. Now, the word that was originally used was, the word, was a word cling, and so we see here on how to love God, we should cling to God. We should hold on to Him. That word cling, was, it's the same word in the same description here, hold tightly to what was used for describing marriages. That marriages are this bond, cleaving to. You sometimes hear that in, in weddings or in an Old Testament kind of language, cleave to, to one another. Well, it's, it's the same thing here with God, is cling to God. Have a love that wants to cling to God. And then we read on here. 
Then verse 10, we see this other description here. And this is where he talks about, in this little section, about talking about how to love fellow believers. He says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. We're going to come back to that. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying when God's people are in need. Be ready to help them. Always be eager to, to practice hospitality. And so here's this grouping that Paul is giving us about a, a grouping of instructions on how to love. And we see here this, this real key in the, all of this in, in verse 11. As he talks about in verse 10, to honor each other and to, really to, to respect one another. Uh, Paul later on in a, in a letter to the church in Philippi writes about thinking about other people being better than yourselves. We should have a posture of humility that other people are, are worthy of our honor. They're worthy of our bowing before them, not to th- be prideful. But then here in verse 11, we see this word of, of never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, you may notice in our scripture, in, in, in our Bible, there's a little asterisk here. There's a footnote down the bottom that shows how, other, uh, how it's also language in other manuscripts. And it uses this word that we want to pay attention to. Here, read down with me that little footnote in verse 12, 11. It says, Oh, but serve the Lord with a zealous spirit. And you might own a Bible that says that word zeal. It says that word to, to serve with zeal. A zealous spirit. Or, but let the spirit excite you in, as you serve the Lord. And so our, our translation has used the word enthusiastically, but I love that word zeal. Because that word zeal, originally, it was the same word that they used to describe to, to build a flame, to, to have a flame and a fire build up and start brewing. It was the same word zeal that they used to describe the word of, of boiling water was zeal. And so in the, how to love one another and how to love the church and how to lo- love the f- fellow believers is with a zeal, with a, with a fire that burns up, that gets bigger and greater and greater. And so we see that here from this word from Paul and that uh, the love that we have for the church isn't a kind of Walmart consumer love. It's not a love where we just kind of come in and go, what can I get back? How can I get my needs met today? What can I have? It's a love that wants to serve enthusiastically. It's a love that wants to give out. It's a love that has a fire deep inside of you that just has to, has to radiate out for other heat to be radiating out and, and warming other people. That's the kind of love that we should have for one another. A love that does want to sacrifice our own desires and go out and be giving it to other people. And we see that through this theme here of and it says, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. It's amazing here in verse 12 that when you go through hard times, verse 12 is a great description of that. How to go through a hard time. Verse 12, Romans 12. How to go through a hard time? Remember where you're going. You don't belong here. You're going to heaven. Remember that. Rejoice in that hope. And then be patient. In other words, you've got to wait it out sometimes and just write it out. And don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. But throughout that whole time, remember that we have a fire burning up inside of us, a love for God that isn't going to let our personal trial and our personal situation block us from giving out that love. 
We're going to continue in, in, in giving God's people needs and having our practical, our love show a practical side of caring for one another, feeding homeless people, giving meals to people that are sick, helping other people out with, with raising their children. It's a practical kind of love, and so we see that we need to have that kind of that fire and that kind of zest. And, uh, and, and you know what? By the way, I, I want to say this. I, if, how many of you have seen the Fairfield newspaper this morning? See, the front page of the Fairfield newspaper has got a great article about megachurches, and it, it actually um, it has this, this very challenging question for a megachurch is a large church of 1,000 people. And the challenging question about, that people will say against a megachurch is, well, all the people are just kind of coming in and doing the mall thing and just kind of shopping like Walmart. And it's kind of talking about this verse a little bit, that people come into a megachurch and, and they just sit and they get what they need on Sunday and then they go home. Well, you know what, that, I want to defend the megachurch here, and they're brothers and sisters of, of, of mine in Christ, and that they have the same problem that we do, that, that Walmart mentality exists in every church no matter what size. Um, the studies that I look at in church growth show very clearly that about 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people no matter where you are. And I, I do give praise to God as we kind of track that around here in this church as best as we can tell. We're, a, we're in the mid-30s somewhere in terms of people participating and serving for God. And we can't keep track of everybody, so we know we're off a little bit with that. So we give God glory and praise for that. But don't just think that it exists in a megachurch. It sits here in our hearts too. Do we have a fire for God? Do we have a love that wants to burn out and, and, and glow for other people? And, and then Paul not only talks about those two aspects of, of loving God and, and loving other people with a, with a fire, but then reading on here in verse 14, he now starts talking about having love outside of the church and love to people through all the world. And in verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute you. The words he used originally was good word, or eulogy, meaning a, a, an angel-type word, uh, a word from heaven. And, we, and people that are persecuting us, we're saying that we're, we're not relevant or bigots because we're Christians, because we follow a God that has absolutes and right and wrong. I mean, he's saying to bless those people. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are weep. Live in harmony with each other. That's a great word right there in terms of our love for the outside word. Harmony. That doesn't mean you agree. That doesn't mean you play the same instrument. That doesn't mean you're playing the same note at the same time. But it means that your music of your, of your being, of your character, is in harmony. It's in, it's in accord. It blends well. And, and as, as our guest worship leader, Jeremy, will tell you, when you're in harmony, uh, uh, more music comes out of it. If I sing one note and you sing another note and there's harmony going on, there's a resonance going on with a vibration that other music, other notes are being played. And so it says to be, uh, live in harmony with one another. And here's this great instruction from him, from Paul, and, and what kills harmony. It says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of, other, of ordinary people. If we're going to have a love that goes out into the world and reaches out into lost people or people that don't know God, we have to have that kind of harmony. And pride is what, dis- is what d- extinguishes harmony. Pride extinguishes harmony inside the church. You can, I, you know, I give praise to God that when there's harmony in the church, I can make a mistake. You can make a mistake. We can, we can have our sin happen. We can be who we are. 
because we can get cranky and we can get selfish and we can hurt other people. When there's harmony, we recognize that, that you've got grace just like I get grace. But when there's pride, we go, that was wrong and that is not right and it's not right that that's going on and then you can get cynical and your heart can get hard and then there's division going on and, and we've seen that happen even in this body. And so pride is, is, is a killer to harmony. Pride is a killer to love with, outside the church and even inside of it. And so he goes on to say in, in verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way, now here's a, here's a key for us, such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. See, the world is watching you. They're watching us. They're watching me. Are we treating one another with honor? Are we, are we treating love as being the, what we want to languish upon other people? Is that the treatment we're giving to the world? Everyone's watching. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Everyone. And so as we see here, as Paul's describing these, these three aspects of love, of, of loving God and in loving the fellow believers and loving the outside world. We see that in the, loving the outside world, the key here for us is knowing that everyone's watching. Everyone's watching us. He says, dear friends, don't take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, and here's a quote of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy when, when Moses was telling the t- early tribes of Israel uh, all about God. It says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Justice is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's not our job. That's God's. So when you're hurt and you're harmed, let it go. We need to let that go. That's up to God to pay that back. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Jesus was very clear about this. Turn the other cheek is what he said, is what he talked about. Jesus is very clear that we want to be able to let others know that we love them no matter what they've done to us. And so doing this, here's in the scripture, and so doing this, this is a quote of Proverbs that Paul is giving, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Now that's not there so that we can get revenge. Okay, we're going to shame them by making them feel bad. No, it's there to restore them. What Paul is saying is that if someone has hurt you, be kind to them. Show them love. Because if they do, then they might feel some guilt, and that's going to restore them back to God. And that's the whole point. It's not to get them back so they feel guilty about, ah, I'll make them feel, you know, I'm going to bake them a cake and put it on their front doorstep. No. It's not an act of revenge. It's It's an act of kindness so that they can see the love of God. And so we see here that, again, the, the focus is don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. The focus here is on the purpose of the good and the outside world and that everyone's watching. Everyone is watching. And so we see this love. Why don't we repeat these three little action steps for me? We, if we talk about the love of God. We want to cling to God. Say that with me. Cling to God. And then we talk about the love of God's family. We want to be on fire. And then as we look at the love to the world, everyone's watching. Everyone's watching. 
Now, that's how these are these, as you read through this, these are great teachings about love, and, and Paul goes through them all in, in really good detail, and they're, they're carry over to other scriptures. But as it relates to parenting, I think it's not so important, uh, these 25 instructions that Paul said, it's not so important about, about what he said as, as, to, as opposed to where he said it. What I'm referring to here is the context of this message. See, this is happening in Romans chapter 12, and it's important when you're reading the Bible to kind of take a look at the forest and look at the, look at the context of things. Because the context of Romans chapter 12 is Romans is, is one long argument. It's one long letter. It begins and it ends, and, and Paul just goes on this, this dialogue of talking about God. And he begins the dialogue by saying in, in chapter 1 that basically man is sinful, that man is a sinner, every one of us, myself included, None of us escape that. We all fall short of the glory of God. That we all have sin deep inside of our hearts. We all have things that are selfish. The nature is about us as human. That we want to perform things that aren't good, that, that lead to death instead of leading to life. That's sin. It hurts God. It doesn't just hurt us. It does have a consequence that hurts us, whether it's smoking or alcohol or pornography or anger. It does hurt us, but it hurts God. And now that, that's, that's the beginning of the argument. And then he says, that, but in spite of the fact that it hurts God, God gives mercy. God gives grace. God gives his love. He gave his love through Christ. And so even though that man is sinful, God gives his grace and his mercy to us. Now, unfortunately, because of that, we live, even though we accepted Christ and we have him in our souls, we have an inner struggle going on, Paul says we got an inner struggle going on, a little torment, if you will, of that old self, that sinful self, dying, and Christ and his soul living in our hearts and getting stronger. That the, Who we are as sinful people will diminish, but God and who he wants us to be will grow and get stronger. And so as that is growing, as we are in that struggle, every one of us, there's good news, and it gives us in, in chapters 10 and, and, and 9 and, and, and 11, and that good news is that we are free from the struggle, that we can actually live free of that struggle. And, and it was important for the people of Rome to know that because they had a bigotry going on between Gentiles coming to Christ and Jewish people coming to Christ. See, the Jewish people were raised that we're the chosen tribe, we're the great ones, woo, 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 look at us, and, and we get God, and, and we're in, but how come these Gentiles are getting it too? Well, it was important for them to know and be given this instruction by Paul, that's why he wrote the Church of Rome, to let them know everyone's free in this struggle. Now, because you're free, look at Romans 12, chapter 1. Now that you know all that, We've got this struggle, we've, we've got sin, God gives us grace, we've got an inner struggle, we're all free of it. He begins then in chapter 1 and says, and so, because of that. Or as some translation will say, therefore, because all that. And then he goes into describing to them, because of that freedom, says in verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is his good and pleasing and perfect will. 
And because we have this freedom, go on, he says, and be transformed. Go on in life and be changed to become more and more like Christ. And then he gives a listing here in the rest of this chapter before we get to the love part. He says, because of the privilege and authority of God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And in verse 4, just as your bodies have many parts and each part was a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We all have many parts. We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things. So as he's giving you the gift of prophecy, speak out. If he's giving you um, the gift in verse 7 of serving others, serve him well. If you're given the gift of teaching, teach well. If you're given the gift of encouragement, encourage others. If you're given the gift of generosity, give. If God is giving you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And your gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And as I said before, it's not so important about what Paul said here about love, it's about where he said it. Because he said it right after he lists a whole bunch of behavior. This is a parallel here between what he says here about love being more important than the behavior. It's the same parallel that he gave when he talked to the church in Corinth. If I have the gift of of angels, if I can speak in tongues, if I can speak in a heavenly language, but I don't have love, I'm just a resounding, clanging cymbal. I'm just a gong. And so for us as parents... Here's the key for parents. We get so wrapped up in discipline because that's our job. We can get so wrapped up in behavior because that's our job. We can get so wrapped up in acting right, not only because it's our job, because it's our peace. It's our, honestly, it's our selfishness. It's the quietness in the house that we need sometimes just to be able to think We can get so wrapped up in that, we can forget about the love. We can forget about the love. And so let me give you two tips, two really, I'm going to laser through these really fast, two really simple tips about how to have love as a parent. And I'm getting these, if you will, from Dr. Scott Taransky and and Joanne Miller from the Parenting is Heart Work series that we've been uh, going through. And there is home groups and there's a material in the back table for you as parents on how to give this love out there. Let me give you this first tip of love, and that is know your child's love language. How many of you have heard of Dr. Gary Chapman's love languages for your marriage? Yeah, most of us have. It's, it's great stuff, but it applies to kids too. And let me encourage you. Go on the website of uh, fivelovelanguages.com. That's not that difficult. And if you forget that, just Google five love languages. You'll find it. But uh, in this description, we need to know that your child has a love language. And here are the five love languages. They're the same as they are for parents. Affirmation, positive words, encouragement, saying you're the best daddy ever is what my little daughter likes to tell me. I love it when she says that. And I tell her you're the best Danny ever, you know, positive words of affirmation. Physical touch, that's hugging, holding hands. Quality time, that's just spending time together. Um, Doing things, whether it's working in the yard or doing a little project or a little craft or doing homework together. Uh, gifts, whether those are little tokens from your day or, or cards or notes that you might write to them. And then, of course, acts of service in, in terms of helping them, maybe doing it, washing their special clothes so they can wear it on a special day or, or helping them maybe clean their room perhaps 
or gifts or service. Now, you want to understand how your child receives love because what can happen is many parents can get to a place where you're disciplining and you're coaching and you're, you're instructing so much that your kids just don't give a rip anymore. And it can happen in young years or teenagers. It doesn't matter. And what's going on is, as Paul is saying, is you've forgotten about the love. And we've got to reconnect to the love. And this is how you reconnect. Your kid's got some way that they want to be connected to. They've got an outlet here. You've got to be able to have an adapter that plugs in in the right way. And you may be transmitting something that's not in the right adapter. You may be transmitting a love of quality time, but that's not your kid's deal. And you got to reestablish that because their hearts are like a sea anemone. You know, you see a sea anemone, they get their tentacles out and they're feeding. You just go, if you've ever dove in the water or been in tide pools, you just touch them and they clam up. It doesn't take a hard touch for them to just clam up. And so what we want is that we want our kids to have that open heart of love so they can receive the instruction. So we want to understand what this is. And the way you find out your kid's particular love language, you can have them take a test if you want, um, but as it, it's developing over time, and, and it's kind of hard to say how, they, how it's going to land until they get older. But the easiest way for, to, to find out about it is just you know, pay attention to, uh, to what they uh, complain about. You never give me any gifts. Or how, you know, how come you're gone all the time? Well, you're gone all the time, and maybe you want some quality time. Or pay attention also to what they request, you know, uh, or what they ask for themselves. Of Can you wash this, wash this special shirt for me because I want to wear it again, even though they know the laundry schedule, they blew it, you know. Um, and also observe how they love. Observe what they give you. Do they love to give you hugs? Um, do they love to give you special words? And just reflect those back for them. So that's your first tip. And then here's a second tip I want to give to you. Um, here's a second tip. And these are five practical ways to open the heart. Five practical ways to open the heart. It's a, an acrostic of heart. The first is to have fun. Have fun. Play games. We forget this. Jesus had fun. He went to the wedding feast. And he had fun. He had a good time with his fellow believers. And, and, um, and so just have fun with them. Go to lunch with them. Take them to lunch maybe. Do a picnic. These are, take them to games. You don't have to spend money and have fun. You can wrestle with them in the, in the living room, but have fun. Uh, eat together. Eat together. We see this out of Jesus as well. The Last Supper. He was with his disciples, with his followers. This was the, that was the meal, was the moment he told them that they're no longer his disciples, they're no longer his students, but they are his friends. And it's the meal time. It's a special time. We need to be eating together as families. If you, can, if you can make that happen, make that happen in your schedule so that we are telling the stories of the day, understanding what took place with each other during the day. The next is arrange activities. Arrange activities. And that would be to, um, um, you know, to be working together or serve together. Say you're, you, know, you, you arrange an activity of, of going to Mission Solano together to serve or, or coming together. Uh, there are several families that do this very well on Sunday morning. Uh, I want to just point out Jim Lovizo always brings his kids to come and, and serve together. That's a family event. That's an activity that they can do together. It's a great thing. And the next is to remember the good times. Play those home movies. Talk about what happened the day your child was born to your kids. They love it. 
They, they want it. it gives them a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense of continuity of belonging into the family. And it touches that heart place for them, for that they know that they do belong. And then now they can receive the instruction that you want to give to them. And then talk and listen. Talk and listen. Now, this isn't just talking at them. And I, I, I do notice this in, in my particular family. I'm bad at this. And, and, and my wife and I both kind of struggle with this. Sometimes they're telling a story and we want to correct them. Well, it's their story. Why are we correcting them? It's their perspective. You know, let them talk. So we need to listen. We need to sacrifice ourselves as parents and just listen. Let them, let them express themselves. Let them express themselves. So in, in, in taking Paul's message about love, there's two challenges for us today. And that is for parents, we do want to take a look at, and evaluate for ourselves. How are we doing? How are we doing in the love aspect? How are we doing in communicating to the heart? How are we doing in, in talking to our kids and having their hearts open up? So moms and dads, I challenge you to go home and, and, and ask this, answer this question to yourself today. And then for all of us, for all of us, how are we doing in our love for God? How are we doing in the fact that everyone's watching? And how are we doing in clinging to God? How are we doing in being on fire for God? Are we showing that love that just burns out for the whole world to see. So why don't you join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word. We ask God that you do show us, Lord, ways of being on fire for you, ways of clinging to you. And Lord, as we close this series today, I just want to thank you, God, for these instructions and this wisdom. And I know they're not a guarantee of, of, not, of having a stress-free parenting experience. I know our children can still find trouble. I know, Lord, it's still, you still give them choice. And even the greatest, godliest parents, Lord, have to endure a, a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter experience. And so, Lord, I just want to pray encouragement upon all of us. And, I, I, Lord, I also want to pray this blessing to us from Psalm 128 that you do promise to us, Lord, blessing and honor and love. And so to all the parents here, of all the families, and we're all children, so we're all a family member, I, I just would pray this blessing. It says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of, your, fruit of your labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home, and your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as long as you live. And may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. And may Israel have peace. May all of you have peace, Lord. May the body of Christ have peace. And Lord, may we, in fact, continue to love and honor and respect you and be on fire for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the tools mentioned in this podcast, you can find it at biblicalparenting.org.